great book of the Bible. This book was written mostly, as far as we know, by Nehemiah himself. It was written around the time of um, probably in the early to late four to five hundreds BC. And it's written by a guy who is just like you and me. He is not a rabbi, he is not a priest, he is not a scribe. He, like many of us, has a normal job, a well-paid, good job, right? He was cupbearer to the king. So he was in the presence of the king. He, that's probably one of the best jobs you could have as an enslaved person. And he probably got paid for that job on top of just the work he had to do. And... God put a calling on his life. God put a vision on his heart. He wanted to, he heard about his homeland, Jerusalem, Judea, where he was from, and was told by his brother the, the wall was destroyed. There is, people are not living there. It's a ghost except for a handful of people along with many bandits. And some people might be living in surrounding towns. But God put a burden on his heart to say, I want to do something about this. And he did. <laughs> so if you have your Bible, Nehemiah, we're going we're to do it in chunks today. I'm going to try something different. I either can read the whole chapter, but because there's a lot of stuff from the Hebrew phone book, it can be exhausting for people. So we'll break it into chunks. Okay? So we're going to start in verse 1 and 2. And it says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So we're going to conclusion. This is the penultimate chapter, right? We're going to have another chapter 12 will be the climax of the, of the book, and then the resolution will be in chapter 13. And I want to start with a small story. You know, for a Westerner, I've probably been here for quite some time, more than most, being here for 16 years. I know there's many people who have generations living here, so I, I can't compete with that. But I've been here for a long time, and one of the reasons, probably one of the main reasons I've managed to survive and sometimes thrive in Kuwait is the church. Long before I was a pastor, you know, when God brought me and Stephanie here, He God wanted us God gave us a vision for more than just jobs. We actually did not come for jobs. We have both had good jobs. So we didn't need to get a job. I think I was paid less 
at my first job here in Kuwait than I was back in the United States. But God put a vision on our hearts that we want to try to make an impact on a Muslim nation as best as we could. We want to get involved in a church and serve. And that has brought us a ton of joy, a ton of life, a ton of um, meaning. Because if you all, you all are here, the temptation to feel like, what is the meaning of all this? Why am I in this insane place which is so backward sometimes? And it's so challenging at times. It can be 55 degrees Celsius here sometimes. Like, what am I doing here? Have you ever asked that question? Yeah. If you haven't, we need to talk after the service. I want to know your secret. Um, but God has, because of that vision, because of that desire, and, and, the, and, the, and the connections that we made, and the friendships that we made, sustained us. Christian friendships, Christian relationships, connecting to the church. Long before I was standing in front of you, I was helping to put the chairs together. I was doing some setup. I was just meeting people in small groups. Just making friendships. And those sustain me. They help me to, to survive and even thrive. So the big idea of this sermon, of this chapter, I think is that God calls people to his mission. God calls people to his mission. So, like I said, we're near the conclusion. The wall is rebuilt despite opposition both externally and internally. People hated it, but he managed to push through anyway. Built the wall. Fulfilled his vision. And that's not all. God gave him another vision. He wanted to not just rebuild the wall, but he wanted people to live in it. So he called people. He spread the word. And 50,000 people came out of Babylon to return to the area. Right? So they return. They, they meet in Jerusalem to read the Torah, to read the Bible, which hasn't probably been read in a thousand years. Right? Since Joshua, the son of Nun, conquered the land. The people celebrate. They are heartbroken, but they so this is a special day because we have the Bible now. We're going to read the Bible. And God's telling us things in the Bible. And the people also confess their sin. They said, we are sorry. We have not our people and our fathers and our father's fathers. And for generations, we have not listened to you. We have not followed your rules. We have disobeyed the covenant. The, the rules that Moses gave to us through you, God, we were, are sorry. So they, they, they make a covenant to God. We are going to do our best. We are going to obey the Torah. We're going to obey God's rules and His laws because His rules and laws are for my good. They're for our good. God's rules are for us. They're not for Him. Because our deepest desire is to worship God. God put a hole in our heart 
They can only be filled with the worship of God in his rules. Even though some of them, if you've read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the rules can seem strange. But the, all those rules were designed to know God and to worship him. He says, I am holy. You're going to be different than these people around you. You are going to, you're going to eat kosher foods. You're going to not have mixed weaved cloths because you're going to show yourself different from these nations. And they said, we want to do this. We want to be part of this. We want to go back to living under God's rule because God's rule brings blessing. So in verse 1, so 50,000 people, but the city is still mostly empty after all this happens. The city is still mostly empty. And the people living in the region, like many societies in that day, were agrarian. So people wanted to live in their fields. You know, this is, it was subsistence farming. They farmed, they farmed their fields, and that's how they ate their foods. They wanted to live in their fields, simple, easy life. But the leaders, it says, the leaders, the chiefs of the clans, the nobles, the governor, they're all living in the city of Jerusalem. This was their responsibility, because this is the center of the region. Right? Jerusalem, if you do we have the map? Did I, I upload that? There's a, is there another one? No, there's only one? Oh man, I must not put it up there or something. Okay, all right, that's it. But you can still see Jerusalem. There's a surrounding region of Judea. That's my fault. They put the PowerPoint. Um, the center of the region. And Jerusalem was still mostly empty. You got this city that has a rebuilt wall and it's empty. A handful of people, some leaders are there. So what is this idea? We're going we're gonna to have a lottery. Where 10%, 1 out of 10, are going to be chosen to live in the city of Jerusalem. So this is not a great lottery. This is not like winning the Powerball when they have in the United States where you win $10 million or whatever it is. This is kind of a scary lottery. Why, why do people not want to live in Jerusalem? Well, people had to start over their lives, right? People who are farmers had to go live in the city. They had to leave friends and family behind. If there was a war, where would the invading army go to? These fields? No. They want to go to the wall of Jerusalem. That's where they would lay siege. So there's some real fear there. So it's, it's a big change. People, you know, they came back from Babylon, already a big step, right? Uproot their lives once, living in Israel, now they uproot their lives again, and go to Jerusalem. And in verse 2, it says there were some who chose to take the risk and volunteered to go. So, one out of ten were chosen. You were picked. I don't want to say forced, but probably it was very similar to that. 
but there were some who took the risk and volunteered to go. And they were, it says, they were blessed. They were blessed because they volunteered to uproot their lives and move this foreign place in the city, leave their family and friends behind, and live in Jerusalem. Any of that sound familiar to your lives? Yes, because God's word is a time it's timeless, so it's always timely for his people. And Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem is mentioned in the Old and New Testament as a city of God. It's symbolic of the city of God. You'll see in Revelation 21 that in the new heavens and earth, the holy city Jerusalem comes down out of heaven for his people forever. And in Babylon, Babylon is the city of man. See, when I look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened. It tells us what always happens. It doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us what always happens. Babylon is also mentioned throughout the Bible. Long after the Babylonian Empire fell, Revelation also mentions Babylon. Does that mean that physical place? I don't think so. But it represents the city of men. In Revelation, it mentions that Babylon is the mother of prostitutes. Right? Not a great place. Not a great place to go with your family. And these Jews, remember, they're enslaved. Right? They're enslaved. They were enslaved by the Babylonians. They were carried captive. This nation laid siege to Jerusalem, destroyed it, killed most of the people, and brought the rest back as slaves. But God calls people back to the city, back to Jerusalem. And this is the story that always happens since the beginning. Since Adam and Eve, right? The, the serpent told Eve, God doesn't want your good. God doesn't love you. You want to live your own life. That's, that's the spirit of the city of Babylon. I want to do things my way. And that's been since the beginning. And it has been throughout history. So people become enslaved to the city of Babylon. But God calls people back himself right this is what happens in Nehemiah this is what Jesus came to do he came to deliver them not just from physical slavery but from spiritual slavery because if you don't know Jesus you are a slave of the desires of Babylon the sinful desires and dark desires and evil desires that we have we are unable to break ourselves free, just like the, the Jews being carried captive to Babylon were unable to be free. They fought with their own strength, but they could not 
free themselves. They were enslaved. But God always sends somebody to bring people back to his holy city. And that's what Jesus does for us, even this morning. He is leading us back to the city, back to his kingdom, right? Jerusalem it can also be referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament, right? God's kingdom, which is the only true eternal kingdom, where we will all be happy. The lie of Babylon is that we think this makes us happy. If I do these things, if I enjoy these things, this will, this will bring me blessings, this will bring me happiness, this will bring me joy. But it will not, it cannot. It certainly overpromises and underdelivers. Babylon has always done that. That is the lie. That is the great lie that deceives the whole world. That if I pursue this, this will make me happy. So God calls these people back to his holy city because he knows this is the center of God's kingdom, the center of God's mission to the world. And he also sends the leaders are already living there. The leaders have already chosen to live in God's mission, in God's kingdom, in Jerusalem, the center of God's mission to this world at that time. Because the leaders wanted to live by example. If you want to fill this place up, leaders, we're all going. We're all living there. We're going to rebuild this city. We're going to figure it out. We're going to have to have infrastructure. We're going to have to have things. We have to make it work. They didn't ask the people to do something that they were not willing to do. They did it. I don't think that that's a, that's a, that's a profound revelation to us. Because many of us are in leadership positions at your work, in your home, with your family, with your friends even, and even leading ourselves, right? We need to lead by example because Nehemiah and the other leaders, they lived in Jerusalem. So my question is, how are you leading? Are you leading by example? Are you leading like Jesus led? Jesus was the ultimate example to us. He showed us how to live in accordance with his rules and to love his heavenly father. Right? Jesus says, I only do what the father tells me to do. And he taught his disciples to do the same. So how are you leading? Are you leading like Jesus? Are you leading people towards the gospel? Are you leveraging your leadership for the kingdom? Or are you leveraging it for yourself, for your kingdom? That's a hard word. But I, I'm preaching to myself as well. Do I be tempted to leave, leverage the leadership that I have and the sphere of influence for myself. But Jesus wants us to, to use our leadership for his kingdom, 
It's his kingdom is the only kingdom that will last. If you got everything you wanted in life, it would still be gone in 70 years. Maybe less. Because we all have to leave this earth. We're never going to be here forever. But God's kingdom is forever. God's kingdom lasts forever. Starts now. Started when Jesus died. But it's going to continue all the way through until he returns and he fully establishes his kingdom on the earth. And we'll get to be a part of that. And I want to say, are you showing respect to the leaders in your life? If you're not a leader, if you have leaders in your life, leaders in your home, leaders in your workplace. Now, I know there are many terrible, awful leaders in this place. But are you trying to find a way to show respect not compromising your values, but showing respect to the leaders in your life. And I would submit even the leaders in this church. Now I'm going to talk about myself. I'm the pastor. You can respect me in our community. But there are many leaders, the people who are in the front, in the back, who are serving. James, Brittany, Jomalo, Maddie, Borland. Thank you, everybody. I didn't get you, I'm so sorry. Who served faithfully. We had a three and a half hour meeting on Friday, last Friday, to talk about the church. So people came early to set up, went through the service, and then did three plus hours afterwards. Which we had a great time. We had great ideas. We were excited, but that takes work. So I want to submit to you that you think about the leaders in this church who, who serve faith with many of them. All of them have full-time busy jobs where they are working significantly more than 40 hours a week. So maybe just show those some extra love today if you get a chance after the service. Because I could not do what I do without them. It's not a one-man show here. So also, long time almost up. I just got started. There's a blessing on those who are pioneers, right? It said all the people who served were blessed, and I think that applies to us. We all left our home countries. We many of us took the same risks. Starting over our lives, leaving behind friends and family, changing jobs or your life station. Risk of regional conflict, right? Very relevant. And city life is not great if you're from the suburbs or the country. City life is not that good. People everywhere is noisy. I've been waking up every day in the middle of the night with people racing their motorcycles on golf, golf roads. I'm right next to it. But they, these people did it for building God's kingdom. And we need to evaluate as believers why God called us here. It is more than making money, job experience, and traveling. There is much more to this country than that. There's much more to your life than that. Now, those things are not bad. Make your money. Travel. 
But God has called you to his kingdom and your mission here, just like those people who choose to live in Jerusalem. There is more to your life than making money and traveling. And you need to discern why that is. Because God has, I know that if you are a believer, God has a mission and a plan for your life. And it might be different for different people. But it's a, it's a plan beyond your job, beyond your social life, beyond your family. Now, many of you, this is not a chastisement, have embraced that, are serving faithfully in the church, are leading life groups, are reaching out to their friends and family, building relationships, serving faithfully. So thank you. I want to encourage you to continue in this. Don't give up on this. You know, Many years ago, there was a woman in our church, young woman, she, just, she had a real strong desire to do a, I don't know what it's called, there's a women's ministry that would be done online, it's live and online, and we did, as a church, did whatever we could to support her. So if God has something in your heart that's not one of these ministries I always talk about, that's okay too. Because I'll, we want to get behind your vision that God has for you. We're in a country full of Muslims. There's opportunities to ch- share Jesus, to invite people over for a meal, to live your life on purpose. If you do, there's, of course, there's risk, but there's blessing. Right? Those people were blessed. They're also blessed by God. I talked about this a few chapters ago. All the people came from Babylon. Right? God bless them. You don't need to live like you're waiting for your next paycheck or your next holiday. Because someone told me, that's living like a prisoner. Right? Live life on purpose right now. Whether you're here for three minutes or three years or 30 years. Right? Use the time you're here. Just invest in God's kingdom and God will bless you. Pray and reflect on this. This is this is my my ex- exhortation to you. It takes time to you can't just like think unless like already put it on your heart. You need to reflect on this and think about this. So in, in the next part, there's a those who are called to the mission. Now I'm not going to read this whole section, so please read it at home. Because it but it is basically a page out of the Hebrew phone book. But it does talk about some, there's some, some points I want to highlight. There's the tribes of Benjamin. Right? Remember, the northern and southern kingdom were broken up. The ten tribes were lost forever. And they mingled with the people. And the tribes of Benjamin and the tribes of Judah and the tribe that these are the clans, the, you know, the, the Joseph's ten, twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. So all that's left now is the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, and the, and the tribe of Levi. And it has the spiritual leaders, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers. These names might not have little meaning to us. But it, it, was, it was important to those people. And it shows that the Bible is not just a story, but it's history. This is in a historical context. Real people living during Nehemiah's age, tracing their ancestry. 
That's the, that's the beauty of the Bible. It's fully human and fully God who wrote it. And it shows also that God cares about you, individuals. Imagine if it was your dad or grandpa in this story. You started this legacy, or yourself. You started this legacy of returning to Jerusalem, doing what God's called you to do. It would feel very different. God cares about your life. Your name is written in the book for him. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's your name is written in the book of life. Your tears and your suffering are stored in God's bottle, and there is a reward for it. None of it is meaningless. Anything you've gone through, any challenge you've struggled with, any misery you've endured, God has a plan and purpose for it. It is not meaningless. It is not worthless. It says in the Bible that God stores our tears in his bottle. So God cares about you. And my third point is that others also support the missional work. Where it hugs people in Jerusalem in the last paragraph to the living people in the surrounding region. Some outside the region. Now, if you calculate the number of people in that chapter, and plus the the um, the five thousand, the ten percent of the fifty thousand, right? That puts us at around eight thousand people living in the city. So only twenty percent or less lived in the city. But those other 80% they lived in villages and they did farming. They also supported the work, right? Because in the city you can't grow stuff. So how do they eat? Well, the people in the surrounding regions. So even though people are moving in the city of God, they're especially blessed. But some are called to support the mission. These people are not judged harshly. They still made the trip from Babylon. And they supported the city with food and supplies. And that's true for us today. Most of us will not be here forever, right? God has a purpose. There's, and you can, you can survive a long time with a network of support and believers like I have and many others have. But God may call you elsewhere as well. But while you're here, pray for the church. When you go back home, tell your family and friends about what God's doing in Kuwait. It's majority Muslim. Many unreached people groups are here. Lots of expats with influence. People are lost and searching. I would encourage you, if you have a home church, share with your church. Have people pray for us. Because God is working here, but it takes, it takes a lot. And there are some people living outside the region. I just want to make this point clear. Be careful. The further you are away from God's mission, the more dangerous your life is. Don't waste your life changing Babylon. Money, power, sex, pleasure, selfishness. Stay close to God's mission, what he's called you to, and you will have a more fulfilled, happy life. In conclusion, if the band can come up, what is your calling in his kingdom work in Kuwait? Leaders in work, home, lead by example. They left their old life behind, like you have. God has called us to leave our old life behind. Jesus calls us to new life, right? Leave the old life behind, embrace the new life in Christ. 
And that means more than just money or experience or whatever you think you're chasing. God has a purpose for us here to expand his kingdom in this country. God can still transform this place into a people that love and serve him. The city of God has an outpost here in Kuwait. We want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Your name is also written down if you are a believer. And Jesus will return with a new Jerusalem for eternity for those who are called to his kingdom. Let's stand up on our feet and we will pray. God, thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for this great book of the Bible that shows what always happens. Thank you, Jesus, that you lead us. You free our captivity to living for this world, for this Babylon. And you bring us into your kingdom, which is forever, which is eternal. God, I pray that you bless each and every one of us, that we would live our lives on purpose. Even in the midst of crazy, busy lives, God, you still have a purpose for us beyond just what we do from 9 to 5. Beyond just the, the fun that we try to enjoy. But you have a purpose for us that is going to be so satisfying that we can save you forever. So please, while we are here, infuse that vision into us or maybe re-infuse it to those who have a vision and, and are, have kind of gotten lost during their time here. I pray that you just bless us, bless this service, bless these people, my friends, my family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And let's do one more song and we'll close it out.
from God's kingdom, resurrection life, amen. That's why we're called to that kingdom. It's so much better, so much better. Let me give you the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, enjoy some coffees and teas and snacks and fellowship. And grab your kids. Have a great, wonderful week. God bless you.